Well, good morning, 1030 service. How are you guys? My name is Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited about what we are about to embark on in terms of our generosity as a church. But I got to be honest, am I a little nervous that I might slip on this fake snow? Yes, I am. But if I fall, it will be very memorable. I won't forget it. You won't forget it. Uh, but I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of third world countries, and it just amazes me always how something as simple as a wall in a school holds kids back from getting the education that they need to not live in poverty the rest of their lives. You know, I just grew up uh, in the suburbs not far from here, and I can imagine if at my elementary school something happened to a wall, maybe the school would close down, we would put the wall back up, and life would go back to normal. But that is not the way it is in some countries like Haiti and El Salvador, where we are partnered with Enlace. So I am thrilled that as we look towards giving towards the end of the year, that some of the resources that my husband and I give are specifically going to go so that people in a community in El Salvador can go to school, so that people here in our city of Chicago in times where it is most violent for kids are actually going to be in an after-school program. And for our kids here, I know many of you dropped your kids over at Soul City Kids this morning as you came in. They are going to have an opportunity to continue to know that they have the opportunity to be in a relationship with Jesus. And that's not something we want them to learn when they're 18 or 25. It's something we want them to know now. And so underneath your seat in the Bible, there is an envelope specifically for our year-end fund called Next is Now. And so as you pray about what you're being called um, to give this year, you can use that envelope if you still write checks. That's awesome. If you don't, you can absolutely designate your giving online, and you can even text it in. And we are so excited to see what God does with our huge, audacious goal, $350,000 going to the next generation. Well, like John said, we are continuing in our Reclaiming Wonder series this morning, and it is our goal this month to kind of revel in the joy of this season. Now, if you're anything like me, I love December, and I love Christmas. Anyone with me on that? Uh, I love the decorating. I love the Polish Christmas cookies that my mom makes that I beg her to make all year round. Um, and the cold and the snow, it just doesn't feel depressing yet because Christmas is still coming, so we can be okay with it. Now, January, different situation, but December, it's still okay. You know, this year I wanted to put up our Christmas tree like the week before Thanksgiving, uh, but Mark said no, and because we practiced mutual submission, I acquiesced and said, okay, we don't have to put it up yet, but there was actually an article on Facebook, so you know that it's a very serious, reputable article that said if you put your Christmas decorations up earlier, you're happier. So I'm just saying, if you do that, that's okay to do, but I know some of you have like a Christmas rule book, and that is not allowed to do until after, yes, you're nodding your heads, you are with me. Uh, but that's something that I want us to look at today, not just how to be happier, but how to experience something much deeper and much more transformational than just being happy. I want us to look at how we can reclaim joy in our everyday lives this Christmas. You know, there's signs of it everywhere. When you go to Target, uh, there is joy on the pillows. When I drove through Dunkin' Donuts this week, there was joy written on my styrofoam cup. There is so much joy and beauty around. People break out their decorations. There are weeks of fun and anticipation at Christmas. Every night in our family, we're reading our Advent book, and we're eating the coveted Advent calendar chocolate. Uh, but sometimes this time of year can feel anything but joyful. 
for me, it starts serene at Thanksgiving. Because at Thanksgiving, all you have to do is eat and be grateful. I can do those two things for one day. But then December comes, and that moment of just kind of serenity before the tree starts to going into stress. There's the holiday parties to attend. There's being around family that you may or may not want to be around. There's a juggling and the shopping and trying to figure out what to get people that's actually in your budget that they'll actually like. And faster than you know it, the most wonderful time of the year becomes the most stressful, frantic time of the year. You know, in a recent survey, 62% of respondents described their stress level as very or somewhat elevated during the Christmas season. I was absolutely in that very bucket this own week. It seemed like everything in my life happened in the last five days. And so every day, I was mentally keeping this checklist. Of, okay, what do I have to get through today? What do I have to get through the next day? And they were all good things. Anyone at the Christmas store yesterday? Yes, it was incredible. Talk about joy as we saw families come from all over our community to shop for their families for Christmas. It was incredible, but it was also a little bit stressful for me. Now, 10% of people on the survey said that they actually experienced no additional stress. And if you are one of those people, I want to know, what are you slipping into your hot chocolate to make you to be in that 10%? You know, I believe that this Christmas can be one defined by joy for you and for me, regardless of what's going on in our lives today. Joy isn't reserved for people with bubbly personalities or who aren't in touch with reality. I believe that God actually created us to be joyful and happy. And this month leading up to Christmas, there is no better time to practice that. So what does deep and transforming joy really look like? I got to look at a lot of definitions this week, and this is the one that really stood out to me. Joy is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. Doesn't that make sense? A settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. It's something that starts inside and then eventually manifests itself outside. We just recognize joy when we see it, don't we? We can't always put it into words, but we know it when we see it. Joy was the look on my friend's face when I got to visit her after she just gave birth. Now, it could be because she was nine days overdue and she was just thrilled to not be pregnant anymore. Uh, but when I visited Andrew and Lydia at their house and I got to hold their baby, they were in this blissed out state that I have never seen them before. They are lawyers. They are logical people. And I left their house just thinking like, I have never seen them like that before. If you've been around new parents, you know, they're so tired. They don't know what end is up but they are blissfully happy about it. Or how about this one, the Chicago Bears? Anyone? Are you joyful about the Bears? Come on, you guys. Can we celebrate the fact that they actually score touchdowns? And then um, they do like their little dances in the end zone. This is the row, row, row your boat one. They have like choreography rehearsal in addition to their actual football practice. Uh, for those of you that have been hanging out with the Bears since the 80s, just waiting for your day, I am joyful for you, okay? It's a good day to be a Bears fan in Chicago. But one of my favorite examples of joy was actually in my own family. A couple years ago, I have twin boys. They were about two at the time. We were leaving my mom's house, and she posed this question, and I didn't know if this was a good idea, but she said, hey, boys, how about you come and help me water the plants before you leave? And I was like, ooh, I think I might know where this is going. And this is the picture of where it actually ended up. 
But as you can see, uh, Ryder is the one being sprayed. He was actually joyful about being sprayed. I was not anticipating that. I was anticipating a huge fight. And his brother, Emmett, as you can see, the eyebrows. He's just finally like, yes, this is what I've always wanted to do to you. I wanted to spray you with water in the face. And now is my moment. You know, when I think about Christmas this season and my life in general, I want it to be defined by true genuine joy like we saw in those pictures not a fake smile that i put on my face and pretend like everything's okay maybe you've done that before i know i've done that before but that inward settled state that we just talked about well i want to invite you now to pull out your soul city bible if you brought your own bible grab it you have the bible app grab that we're going to look at philippians 4 and it's on page 953, so you don't even have to struggle to navigate it. 953. Um, and now this is a letter that's written by Paul, and it's actually written from prison. Not a very joyful place. But Paul is writing it to encourage the believers in Philippi, to encourage this church to stand firm in their faith. And even though this book is only a few chapters long, in this book, 16 times it says, to rejoice. We're told to rejoice over and over again. So let's read Paul's closing encouragement to this church in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. It's almost as if Paul knew we would need to be reminded that there would be things that would be coming up all the time in our lives that would be blocking our joy. So he says it twice. You know, back in ancient times when this was written, the word rejoice was actually translated to celebrate, celebrate, and do it again. And we have reason to celebrate, and that is coming up in verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, right before this passage, Paul had just reminded them to stand firm and to fix their eyes on Christ. And this is one of the keys of rejoicing, being reminded that the Lord is near. Now, here comes verse 6. Do not be anxious about, what does that word say? Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Underline that, circle that. Don't be anxious about anything. That is a strong word there, anything. Not even your finances, not even your job, not even your kids. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He invites us to bring it all to him, every little thing, the big and the small. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, it's going to give us a long list of qualifications here. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Are you getting the point here with the list of things that we're supposed to be thinking about in order to rejoice? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And what a beautiful passage of scripture to be reminded to rejoice that the Lord is near, that we should pray and not be anxious. It seems so lovely and so flowery, but is it really possible? Is it really possible to do what Paul is talking about here? Well, I think it is, and I know it is, if 
we don't make our circumstances the center of our attention and the source of our joy. It's an if, right? If we don't make our circumstances the center. But let's be honest. Circumstances can bring us joy, can't they? Uh, you know, and this past year, my family moved into a new house. Uh, last year, this time, we were packing up boxes, and we did not know where we would be unpacking our boxes. It was a very vulnerable thing and a very inconvenient thing to do before Christmas, I might add. And so after a few months, we actually found a place that we were thrilled to find, but then it took another more five months for it to be fixed up and ready for us to move in. So we finally moved in this fall. We've experienced our first Halloween. We've decorated for Christmas. And I got to be honest, when I walk through the doors of my house most days, I feel joyful about that circumstances. Uh, that circumstance. We're in our house finally after months of waiting. But if you rewind just a few months back, that was not my circumstance. You see, I was living in the basement of my mother's house, and I'm 37 years old. And while I loved to be with my mom, and I did, it was a wonderful thing, uh, just living in, the whole living in the basement situation was not very joyful. And there was even an incident where we had a skunk incident. I won't go into the details, but there was a skunk in the window well. And I sat down here at church one Sunday, and I said, I smell like a skunk. I smell like a skunk. And I asked my friend Sarah next to me, I said, smell my hair. Do I smell like a skunk? And I was hoping she'd be like, oh, no, it smells fine. And she's like, yeah, you do. You smell like a skunk. I was not finding joy in that circumstance, my friends. If we're going to reclaim joy, our circumstances cannot take center stage. Now, you know what that's like in your life, right? When you make your circumstances the center of everything, you're just kind of tossed back and forth. You're on a high, you're on a low. There's all these ups and downs. It's kind of like toddler syndrome. If you've been around a toddler, right? They're like, happy one minute, they're crashing the next. That's what happens when we make our circumstances center stage. But we know that our joy cannot be sustained by circumstances alone. It may work for days. It may even work for weeks. But I have lived long enough to know that the pain train is coming. It's coming in small ways, and it's coming in big ways, because that is what it means for us to be humans, is that we experience all of it, right? There's pain from transitions and new seasons. And for my family this last year, we said yes to the adventure of Soul City, something we've prayed about for a very long time. But it has not been a transition without pain. You know, we left our a community that knew us for years. We left a community that watched us grow in our marriage and have children. And now we live in Oak Park, which to us is the city, even though you say it's not the city. And we're trying to navigate uh, this new life here. There's pain from health challenges. And I know personally some of you in this room are facing things that just seem unimaginable in terms of your health. And then there's the line in the sand type of pain where you view your life one way, and then something happened, and now your life is totally different. And one of my best friends this last year suddenly lost her husband, and now she's the single mom of four boys, trying to figure out how she does life on her own, raising four boys. And I can tell you, she has not found joy in that circumstance. But I can also tell you, that she has had joy this last year, even though it seems almost impossible. Her joy is not gone, because to be joy-filled does not mean that we're pain-free. 
To be joy-filled does not mean that we're pain-free. In fact, I just heard someone talk about joy that's on the other side of pain, how it's actually richer and deeper. Now, I can remember in my 20s, I had joy, okay? I was optimistic. I just graduated college. I had a new life and a new husband. There was so much reason for joy. But as time went on, real life happened. Real pain happened. Things that I would have never imagined would happen. And I got to make a choice if I was still going to choose joy or if I was just going to let life come at me and have that be the thing of my life. You guys probably know people like that, right? Life has just handed them defeat after defeat after defeat. And you can tell. And there's other people with the same story um, that life has just handed them pain after pain, and yet they're still joyful. That's the kind of person that I want to be. Because both joy and pain can operate simultaneously. They're actually not opposites. And you want to know why I know that? Because I can be crying and laughing within the same five minutes and vice versa. Joy doesn't proclaim that we're pain-free or that all of our prayers are answered. The presence of joy boldly believes that even though we have pain, we have a reason for hope that is far greater than any pain that we can experience. Now, for people that are Christians or for those of you that are exploring what it means to be Christians, I'm about to say a very churchy thing, but we are in church. Um, we have a hope because we have Jesus. We have someone that has conquered the grave, someone that never leaves us or forsakes us, and because of that, we can rejoice like it says in Philippians 4. We have access 24-7 to that kind of joy. In Hebrews 13.5, it says this, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I love that last part. Yes, what, do mere, what can mere mortals do to me? Because God hasn't left me and he hasn't forsaken me. And I think for us, if we're going to reclaim joy, this is what we need to keep in the center, not our circumstances. You know, for those of us who have said yes to following Jesus, our joy is different. Even if we can't rejoice in our circumstances, when we're in pain or when we're in grief, we can still rejoice in Christ. Because joy is a both and. It's not an either or. It's not exclusive. That's why we can rejoice today, that God has never left us. And in your darkest days and in my darkest hours, when you have felt alone, he has been there, and he'll continue to be, whether you have the faith to believe it today or not. It's where that settled state of contentment and confidence and hope comes from. It comes from this anchor that is secure and settled and unwavering in the midst of circumstances. It comes from a God that is true and good. Now, as I think about the shifting circumstances that come in my life, and the pain that comes my way, one of the ways that I reclaim joy is by realizing this. My joy is my job. My joy is my job. Now, I have a lot of jobs. Uh, you know, I work here at the church. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a student. I have a lot of responsibilities. But my joy is actually one of them. Now, 
if you want to make your joy um, my job, I'm great with that. And I will tell you the Starbucks drinks that I like and all the tasks that could be done for me. And it is so easy for us to hitch our joy to someone else, isn't it? Um, I can find myself thinking, man, if Mark would just do that thing that I've asked him to do, if he would just put up those Christmas lights, I would be joyful, I would be happy. Or if that person on my team would take my advice the first time, we would not be in the scenario that we're in today. It is so easy for me to point the finger. But I know that if I'm a person of joy, that I actually have to own taking radical responsibility of my own joy because it is my job. So if we know that our joy is our job, what do we do with all the real-life things that happen that are a step above just an unpleasant circumstance? The things that we feel like make it impossible for us to feel joy. Well, the Philippians passage continues in verse 6, and it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, God knows that there are real life things happening in our life that keep us up at night, that are real roadblocks to joy. You know, just in the last few months, there have been things keeping me up at night where I wake up and I can't fall back asleep because I'm thinking about decisions we're making here at the church that I take really seriously, that I want to get right. I think about a conversation that I had during the day that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and I'm replaying it and going back and trying to figure out how could I do that differently. And God knows those are real anxieties and things that I'm worried about in my life. You know, as I was writing this message last week, I, uh, you know, turned off all my emails so I could focus, and then I took a lunch break, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to open my email, check in on where things are at. That was a very poor decision on my part, but I did that, and wouldn't you know what happened is I got a very unjoyful email, a very unjoyful email, and my subconscious prayer to God went something a little like this, God, what's the deal? You know that I'm writing a message about joy. I need joyful emails, not these types of emails. I need the email that says I've come into a windfall and I need to go pick up the cash at a certain address. I need the email that says uh, the Bulls have requested me to be their personal pastor. Those are the emails that I want in my inbox. Um, and I kind of had this like tug of war back and forth with God. Like, really? You know I'm doing sermon prep today. And then I closed my computer, and it was this moment of like, oh, yes, I got it. I'm actually writing a sermon about having joy that is not anchored in our circumstances. Okay, God, joke is on me. Joke is on me. So in that moment, I chose to do what is written in this passage. I just surrendered it, and I said, okay, Lord, you know the situation with the email. You know the person that wrote it and why they wrote it. You know what I'm supposed to do to handle it. I can't hold that right now. I'm feeling stressed and anxious to my max. And so God, can I give this to you? Can I give this even small email to you and trust that you can take care of it? You know, my humanness wants to equate something as trivial as emails with my personal joy and happiness. And I'm aware that that's wrong, but it's also real. The beautiful thing that this passage is reminding us of is that God loves us. And because he loves us, he wants to know us. And he doesn't just invite us to come only to him when we have everything pulled together and everything figured out. Any people like that, they want to get all their ducks in a row before they bring that situation to God. You know, sometimes I think to myself about things that come up. It's not a big deal. I'll just figure it out. It's fine. That's the self-talk that I have a lot of times. 
But that's actually not the relationship that God invites me into. In a gentle and in a loving way, he invites us into every situation to bring things to him by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. He sees our anxiety. He knows that it holds us back from joy. And he says, give it to me. Separate from your stress. Not just the big things, but the small details of our lives that might be hindering us from joy because we're carrying them on our own, the way that we're not meant to carry them. You know, reclaiming joy means trusting God to care for us. Now, I don't know how we achieve lasting joy any other way. God doesn't say to us, ignore those stresses. They aren't important. No big deal. Instead, he says, give them to me and rejoice. And in my life, there are times I'm not even aware of the small things that are causing me stress until they pile up and I feel like I'm going to blow. And I'm not willingly keeping them from God. But I'm choosing this mindset where I just am moving forward, one foot in front of the other. That is not the path to joy. But the beauty of a relationship with God is that he wants all of us, the big mountaintop experiences, the disappointments, and all the spaces in between. And when we do this, we get this gift, and that's what he talks about in uh, verse 7. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we give things over to God, we get to be the recipients of peace. A peace that's settled and knows that God's got it. A peace that puts our circumstances in the right perspective. A peace that isn't weighed down by everything going on around us. So in my little lunch break, as I was wrapping up my emails, I made the conscious decision uh, to turn that stressful situation over to God. And I can tell you, it still came up as I wrote. That email came back up. But instead of obsessing over it or totally turning my attention to it, I decided, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you to take care of me with this, and I'm going to trust that my surrenderedness uh, to this is what's going to produce real joy. And as I sat in that moment, just writing um, from a library, looking out over winter, I was grateful. I was grateful for the fact that I was warm and not outside in the cold. Me giving over my anxiety and my struggle actually made space for other things in me, other things that I want to be in me more than anxiety and stress. And there was the ability to just be in that moment, to be fully alive and present with something that I really love to do. You know, I was reminded that it was in his control, and I could worry about it if I wanted to, but it was my choice, and I didn't have to. And it was one small decision that made my joy greater that day. You know, as I think about being a joy-filled person, I don't intentionally not try to be joyful. I just think we can accidentally wander into being joy-deficient people. We start with good intentions, we start being grateful, noticing good things in our lives, and then little by little, we just kind of veer off course. And where we were once settled and content, we get discouraged, and other drivers on the road make us way more mad than they should be able to make us. And it makes sense to me in the world that we live in today, in the political climate that we exist in, that joy might seem fleeting. But although joy might seem easy and fluffy on the outside, I want to tell you that true joy is a sign of maturity 
It's actually deep and grounded. It's that settled state. It's someone that's focused. You know, when we think about someone that's mature, I think about someone that's kind of buttoned up and serious and has everything together. But the scripture actually says, as we grow in godliness, we grow in our joy. When you meet someone like that, take notice. That is a person that is spiritually mature. That is a person that's saying, regardless of what's happening in my life, even if there's pain, even if there's line in the sand type of pain, I know that I actually have a choice to be joyful. Now, joyful people have this sustained center, a peace in knowing that God is on the throne, and that changes the entire way that they experience the world. Small bumps in the road are just that. They're small bumps. Simple moments become moments to really be taken in and savored and experienced. And I think joy makes us feel more alive and more, more of who we were intended to be. And that is the way that I want to live. You know, in the Christmas story in Luke 2.10, it says this. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. We can reclaim joy this Christmas season because of the good news that has come. And it's not just anticipation, it has already come. And we can live in that every single day if we choose to.